Welcome to Table Read Podcast. No thus, Table Read Podcast. Is that thing on? Yeah. Yeah, it's attached. Of course it's We're on. Rolling. <laughs> <laughs> We're rolling. But nothing is, nothing is uh, you know, it's always the knife. You can always go in. Yes, you can. Suddenly huge sections of the conversation disappear. No, I, I really try not to do that at all. It's, it's, uh, sometimes I got some like, electronic interference that was so bad that I had to... Uh, had to fix it. How Nixonian. Did you find this? I have to sign in here. Was it 17 minutes or 17 hours? Something was missing from Nixon's tapes. Uh, 17 hours, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> 17 minutes, I think it is. Was it? Yeah. 17 hmm. felony? Yeah. Which Walk is where they were setting <laughs> up the whole NSA thing and uh, the World Trade Center conspiracy. That's where that, that was in that 17 minutes. That'll um, happen. He said we should, you know, declare war on ourselves but blame somebody else so we can go to war and make more money. Yeah. And we are the Republicans. Watch us do it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, hey, Dave. Yes. Remember your thesis for your PhD? Yes, how to create and communicate a safe space to individuals and um, involved in participatory performance. What do you have a PhD? Oh, cool. No, I don't. Oh. <laughs> no. But it's an interesting thesis. The whole idea here is to have a pedagogy to basically explain to uh, new interactive performers how to um, create a safe zone so that people feel happy and content and validated in bringing forth the creative performance with another actor on the spot, as opposed to some actors who bring people up on stage and make fun of them. And that's a lot of times when people are like, I don't, I don't want to do that participatory stuff because you, know, you guys are going to make fun of me and I don't want to do that. When you give them the opportunity and let them know that they're, you know, that everything they do is going to be validated and that they will have a good time. Okay. They're like, oh, okay. And then afterwards, usually they're like, wow, that was a lot of fun. I don't usually do these things. But so the, pro the problem that we face is that we have a lot of actors that are trained very well in voice and dance and movement and dialect. But a lot of actors are not necessarily trained very well in interpersonal communication and how to read the signs of nonverbals in order to anticipate what every need, in order to anticipate the needs that come up within the context of the interaction of interactive theater. And interesting, interestingly enough, if, uh, if, it's, if there aren't that many actors that have any kind of awareness or training of that, you look to the general populace, and the percentage is even less. Oh yeah, they're, well, they're they're deaf. You know, you just took me. Sure. <laughs> I yeah. came here to watch a show, and suddenly, a part of it. Wait a minute, my wife never told me anything about this. <laughs> this is why I stay home and play football or watch football. That's right. Well, I uh, think I've probably told you guys before, but in when I was in LA in the seventies, uh, John and Pam were friends with some magician. And he got us into the Magic Castle. The Magic Castle, you had to have an invitation. You just couldn't show up to be in the audience. And uh, so we had an invitation. We went into this small room lined in bookshelves. And you pay, you'd say who you are, and you pay. It was pretty expensive, 50 bucks or so at the time you even get in. And uh, suddenly one of the, the uh, bookshelves swings, and you walk into this hallway, and there's people walking, and there's various rooms and shows going on. And uh, so I sat down at a... Uh, uh, a show as a magician, mostly magicians, um, and uh, has a, it has a high reputation and rank, or used to anyway in those days, I imagine it still does, 
of the people that belonged that were allowed to perform and the people who were allowed to come see them. But anyway, I sat in the audience of this one guy, and he, he picked me out of the audience for some reason. And uh, I, uh, I, I remember that feeling. <laughs> yeah. me, me. I, I like, Don't know why. He didn't see my arms waving the first time. Um, but he, uh, he, he made fun of me, and he belittled me as a member of the audience. Yeah. He made me uncomfortable. And uh, I remember that that was before I learned uh, anything about interactive theater. I was just doing story theater. But I remember that feeling and vowed never to... Uh, to, to put someone under that kind mm -hmm. of, because uh, you can, you can, it's, I don't know There's a, where the a key knife, is. We've insisted people come up, you know, but it's never come up and then just drill them with mm -hmm. <laughs> zingers, uh, you poor sucker, aren't you lucky we picked you, kind of thing. There's a, a knife act that plays at uh, Scarborough Renaissance Fair, a, uh -huh. a father and son act, and they actually make it a huge point to let the audience know uh, this guy, he, he was brave enough to come up here, uh, he might be a future performer, He's and they actually half of their act is about pumping up the one volunteer that they bring, that they bring up on stage, and getting the audience to recognize that. And cool. They address it. Just watching uh, uh, recently online, because I fucking posted it, why shouldn't I watch it? The uh, recordings of you guys doing Christmas Carol in 1989. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I had all my teeth back then. <laughs> it was really cool. I only watched a few minutes. You just couldn't take it, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kept interrupting him. I felt sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time... Did you forget your lines or something? No. That's just Brian's trademark. No, during the, <laughs> opening, during the opening part of the show. Well, Scrooge's trademark. Especially... While he was getting the uh, warming up the audience before we actually started the script, I would pipe up with some rejoinders, and I, I know I interrupted him five times within like three or four seconds. It seemed like, hmm, I don't want to watch me do this. <laughs> You're talking about the '89 one. Yeah, he had a zinger. He put it out there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's hard for it's hard for uh, it's a good good uh, topic. It's hard for artists to appreciate themselves. It's hard for artists to appreciate themselves financially. It's hard for them to appreciate themselves personally because you may be brilliant at what you do and, and these two guys are that sit with me here. Notice I'm weaving into an introduction of sorts. Uh, you, have to, uh, you have to be really good at, at uh, what you do in order to go wherever I was going with that point that I <laughs> Forgot when I thought about introduction. Well, I'll uh, tell you what, though. It was Take awesome. it, Dave. It was, okay. it was awesome. <laughs> you know, no, nobody does extemporaneous <laughs> like you do. <laughs> no, nobody does, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I think, okay. then, let, me, let me introduce for uh, people who are used to uh, hearing uh, uh, other uh, podcast members. we got a whole new group today, except for me, that you haven't uh, been introduced to yet. Dave, who's speaking? Dave Donovan. Hey, everyone uh, in podcast land. <laughs> Dave, I uh, didn't mean to interrupt the point there, but before, what usually happens in these things is is uh, my friend Duncan will give me a bad time about not doing an introduction, so when I try and introduce it, he takes off on a topic, and it's an hour and a half into the thing before we get an introduction done. Yeah, I, I have a friend who does that, goes off on weird tangents and topics <laughs> and stuff, and they just keep on going and going. Yeah. It's crazy. One time he told me a story about an alligator. Yeah. And just kept on going, and, it, and he never actually got to make his point because the alligator story turned into a story about this muffin, <laughs> and the poor guy never actually got to do whatever it was he had set out to do because the other guy kept on rambling off about these stories. So, <laughs> and he even started telling a story about a guy who was telling the story. 
Did we actually see rambling like mad? <laughs> so that the other poor guy couldn't make introductions, which was originally what he had wanted to do. Yeah. So I like how we just went off on a tangent. People that go off on tangents. Is this the conclusion <coughs> of your introduction? No, actually, I see this is what usually what happens. It gets that good. Are you again? That's <laughs> yeah. So, but let me uh, let me just get everybody. I'm gonna go off on a co-tangent. Everybody should. Everybody should it's just a tell, sign of how crazy. Oh, I, I was about to go there. Tell a little bit about themselves, particularly in, as relating to a performance. But in Smith's case, that's not his main gig. But uh, but still, he has been a performer. You were voice actor in uh, the Great uh, Improbability. What? Yeah, you were in the movie we made back in '93, uh, Sky Force Fantasy. Dressed in funny Renaissance garb, we got <laughs> tomatoes yeah. thrown at you. Yeah. yeah, and you got to do the voiceover <laughs> for that. So you've been doing it all your life. So anyway, that's, Dave Donovan uh, started out doing theater in high school, or probably before. Well, that was a Prince Pollution. That was my way first. Way to confuse him because it's your voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking, I'm, well, you introduced Smith, so I'm going to introduce Dave. Go ahead, please. Yeah, that's great. Mm. And that's all I know. And there's not much more. And I'm Brian Belge, and I'm introducing Dave Donovan. See, I did your job for you there. That's right. Yeah. Jumped right yeah. across. Yeah. No, I'm Dave. And he's Donovan. a professor who teaches at Millersville University. This is true. But Dave has meant more to us through the last uh, 25 years than uh, professorhood or professorship, depending on whether it's a hooded ship or a, a plane that, you know. Uh, Dave has meant more to us as, uh, as a member of a, lot of, of a lot of projects that uh, theater, performance, producing, uh, festival event projects over the years that has uh, uh, been uh, exemplary. The results were exemplary, except we all didn't make a million bucks. That part wasn't exemplary. But everything else... History director, educational director, promos, <laughs> more promos, going to Wendy's, doing promos. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> promos, the dreaded promos. That's kind of like uh, the trenches, isn't it, for actors? To go do promos. I remember some of the actors coming back from, uh, particularly in the Poconos, because in the uh, Mount Hope, there was uh, the uh, promotion department It was... Had been there for a long time. It was set up. You'd have, as an acting company, sometimes twelve or sixteen promotions a week to get your actors to do as well as the performances. That's right. It was hard to, uh, it was harder to, to keep track. But I remember the actors saying, going to the uh, what was it, Wendy's, I guess, there in the yeah, mountains, in the Poconos, and, and just being pretty much feeling totally rejected by the people. Absolutely. The reason they were going there was because <laughs> the owner of the fair owned the, had just opened the Wendy's. And uh, he wanted yeah. to drum up business there and do cross promotion, and people did. I mean, they were there for fast food. They just walked by our actors acting their hearts out. They got disheartened real fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes me chuckle only because <laughs> because I know it's good for them. You know, it's like a kid. The kids have a lot of trouble. You, you know, it's okay. It's good for you. Yeah, you can't have a lot of trouble because otherwise you get a, a totally miss. Uh, uh, pronounced view of the world, and the world slaps you upside the head the first time you go, whoa, that never happened before, now what do I do? <laughs> Rather than, yeah, I've taken a few from, from, from certain situations, not necessarily physical blows, of course. But uh, Which brings up an interesting point. Now, uh, Mr. Belch here, Mr. Brian Belch, who is a director extraordinaire of you know, interactive theater, I believe he's uh, uh, of the first generation of um, Gary Izzo, who is... Uh, Esteemed very much in the interactive theater world, but he went through the Gary Izzo system. Yeah, so so did I. <laughs> yeah, and wrung it out. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, according to Gary. <laughs> but, you know, he, no, was, he says he likes what I do, but it's completely, you said, don't get me wrong, it's completely different from what I do. <laughs> yeah. He also has me, me mixed up with some bad directing he saw at Mount Hope that he thought was still us. Who's that? Oh, Gary. Gary. Yeah. Oh. yeah. After we left, he went and visited and, and stuff, and for some reason, he kind of puts that on us, the, mm. the people that came after us. Oh, and what it turned into. <laughs> but one of the things you brought up earlier was, you know, actors out of the original environment that a specific theater piece was made for. For instance, the Dickens character going to a mall, or a Poe character going to a beer party. A, f- a folk singer going to a football uh, bar. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, my point here is that the environment that the actors are used to is such that when they're at their home, whether it be Edgar Allan Poe, whether it be Dickens, whether it be the Renaissance Fair, you know, that's their safe haven. When you take them and put them out into the public where there are, there's really nothing to, to you know, suggest that these are who mm-hmm. these people are, it's very easy for the public to go, who, who, as you were saying, who are these crazy people? <laughs> yeah, what are they doing here? Them, no <clears throat> well, the, yeah. one, of the, one of the problems, and we had to do it in the Poconos, send them to Wendy's because, as Brian said, it was an ownership connection with Wendy's. Technically speaking, you don't do that in a place where people are going for fast food because if they wanted to be bothered, they'd go somewhere <laughs> they where they were going to get bothered. Right. They're at Wendy's or McDonald's or whatever because they want to eat and get the fuck out of there. Maybe it's not a, it's not a drive-in and take it with you kind of get out of there because uh, mm-hmm. uh, they'd like to get out of their car. But, yeah, they're going to naturally resent any intrusion, I think, and, and it's a testament to uh, how we train those people and uh, the, the, uh, the effort they put in, the talent that they had, that they were able to, pull, able to pull it off as much as it was not a good situation. I remember that feeling inside myself going, Jesus Christ, I don't like this, mm-hmm. where we're, we're in a position where you have to do something that you know is not, is not the best. But on the other hand, as I said, I think it was uh, it's wonderful training ground because after you've done that, going and standing in a proscenium situation or in front of a camera where you get multiple takes or anywhere where the audience sits still and looks at you in the dark is uh, is a whole lot easier after you've uh, well, yeah, I should, done yeah. something like that. What's I've, that? I've been doing, uh, what, the last three years, I've been doing uh, some shows up at Franklin House uh, with the Touche Productions, and you, you hit the nail on the head because... Uh-huh. So some of their performers are, are brand spanking new. I mean, they're just out of college, or you know, some of them are, have the dream to be a performer, and they, some of them know. There's a couple of them that are models that have never done acting. Mm. So you're up there with these people, and you know, they suddenly go up, or they don't know where they are, or Uh-oh. something over there has caught their attention in dinner theater. The fact that you've got all this training, you can just you know yeah. kind of take over their line, throw it back, and get the, get the ball rolling again. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that's a testament to you and to to Gary and to Brian and, and a lot of the other directors as well. But um, it, you're right. I think that the actor is more prepared or at least more willing to engage in a, you know, spontaneous improvisation in order to get the show back to where it needs to be. Now, sometimes, you know, in a scripted piece, you know, there's a pause. God forbid. I know some people, if I pause, they go nuts. But we won't mention <laughs> names. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, some, sometimes people do forget where they are. But like I said, you know, the nice thing about um, what we have is that we can go in and pick up where we left off. Well, you remember those days when we first took over at, at Mount Hope as, as the artistic directors, uh, as the artistic staff there, uh, the leaders of it anyway, because there was, there was quite a, we had 
wonderful array on costumes and everything else. Yeah. But uh, part of the uh, part of the training uh, that we put the actors through was to uh, um, prepare them for uh, to make those kinds of situations where things don't go right, where you forget an opportunity. Think of the times that we they had to take a Shakespeare piece that they'd done an hour and a half long and trunk it one day in the rain because couldn't do the fights or yeah. whatever, and they had to trunk that same show that they had taken seriously. Now it became a comedy, but they knew it so I mean, it was just it was wonderful for me to see. A trunk show is where you take a storyline and you have the audience act it out for you. Mm -hmm. Usually they're comedic, but many in a times trunk. they can be tragedy. Too. Uh, Especially the yeah, But just to be able to do that, <laughs> send people out uh, trunk, to do that. Trunk tragedy. What's yeah. that? Tragic. Yes, to be able to send people out to do that and know that they're trained and you can uh, expect them to do that and then they'll be able to just go out and put on a whole production, a trunk show of whatever it was they just were performing. And you know what? There were a lot of... Uh, uh, there were. I don't, I, I don't think there are... Uh, people over time, of course, change, you change your opinion of things that happened when you were in your 20s, when you are in your 40s. And, and on fifties and sixties, remember we told the actors when they came to Mount Hope uh, originally that we were going to. Uh, well, it was my thing to tell them that they were going to. Uh, this would be the hardest thing they ever did, mm -hmm. and it was designed to be that way. We mm -hmm. might fail, but it's not from from lack of trying. This is going to be the hardest thing you ever do because uh, that's what we have to offer you. We can't pay you a lot of money, but we can pay you in uh, our experience and our training and pass it on freely and turn you loose and give you a, a performance space and an audience where you can go out paying audience where you can go out and use that plus do some of the kind of theater that you're used to doing on a, on a stage or whatever. Well, and you'll take that with you for the rest of your life and uh, we're going to make it especially hard. That's why two hours of heavy physical activity to start the day. Now, who, what, what acting company does that? Oh, we did dance for... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, well, that was came after the two hours of physical activity. Kotowski may have done it. Lo and behold, 20, 30 years later, those very people are saying, wow, that was the hardest thing I ever did, and that shaped my life. Yeah, well, and they're having reunions and saying, let's get together. And, but that's yeah, true. That's cool. you know, I mean, when you look at what the program that was put together, you, you, you have movement. right? We had the two hours of calisthenics, whatever it is. We had stage combat. We have dialect. We have history. And you almost have like a, 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 each of them like being mini colleges within the context of a Renaissance university. Do you remember how it was set out, uh, Brian, particularly because you and I were doing the schedules? I think we had four hours of that kind of, mm -hmm. of heavy activity, and then maybe it was even six, and then you had, yeah, it may have been six, four then you had rehearsals for uh, another nine hours of oh, the day. Yeah, four, and then lunch, lunch uh, and then, then uh, rehearsals and fights. Uh, and then after dinner, shows in Shakespeare. Yeah. I remember. I remember how many hours a week did the actors have to actually work? A hundred million. Uh, well, I think <laughs> they, they were, were doing eleven hours, about 10, yeah, six, 10 or 11 six hours. days a week. Yeah, sixty to sixty-six hours a week, and then a day off. So. Yep. As they said, you know, we don't know if they're building actors and marines. Uh, mm -hmm. The idea was to build both, in a sense. Marine actors. And yeah, it could be the first one Doug on the beach. That said that, right? What's that? I don't know if we're building actors or not. Uh, somebody did, yeah. There's Doug Moon, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Somebody in the fight. Uh, the fight. Back, way back Wonderful. to a point that Dave was making about when you're, yes. out on, you're out on a promo and you're in character and you don't have the milieu of your venue that you've been performing and you don't have a mansion, you don't have a renaissance fair. Mm -hmm. You're out of your element, yeah. You're out, way out of your element. I have found... And we've done this like at malls, 
that you, you change the context because of the audience's expectation. When you're at the Renaissance Fair or at the mansion, they're walking into your environment and you can they say, do. we're transporting you back in time yeah. to 1800s. We're transporting you back in time, the audience, to 1600s. By arriving, they're saying, I'm going to allow you to be. Right. But when you come to their space... Now, a lot of Renaissance Fairs still don't do that. They play that they are in modern times and pretending to be, just like the audience. They don't yeah. put that layer of the illusion that you can use that we do when, when we have the venues to do that. Well, to be more, to clarify but what, that more what we've done, thought, go ahead. What we've done, like going to malls and that, is switch to their point of view. If we've been transported to this mall at this time, we don't know how we got here through the magic of Christmas, Dickens and company are here. And we can still be confused about the modern things that we can see. We can yeah. see a lighter or see a, an iPod and not know what it is if we choose to do that. But we have to change our point of view to, to go with the audience. And that was a hard lesson to learn because I, we used to go to the malls and, and try to pretend I used to, you know, I'm still back in time. The, what, what helped yeah. me, but I had to change the point of view. That transition between that world there that you're playing to and your world is a tough one unless you justify it properly. And it comes down to the who, what, and where of improv. You have to address certain things. You cannot get around where you are when you are in. <laughs> that's exactly where you are. You are in a mall. Well, the, the other... You can't all of a sudden... The other piece of this puzzle... Get the puzzle, audience to leave it anything different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other piece of this puzzle is that whoever books the gig and talks to the individual that says, okay, we, I would want you to come, that individual who says that, yes, we want you to come needs to talk to mall security, university <laughs> security, because a lot of times, at least in some of the gigs that happen, the person that hired us knew what was going on. And they said, oh, these people are coming, and that's all they said. So suddenly you've got, you know, university security showing up or mall yeah. security showing up. And what are you people doing? Because the message never got down to the people that are, you know, the system managers or managers of stores or whatever, that these people were coming through. That's because I was a rally on hand me, man. A lot of times it's good to remember when, when you're the person selling those shows, presenting those shows, is that basically you represent to most people an additional task that they have to perform. Mm -hmm. A lot of times uh, that's not true, but uh, even when you have an activities director at like Skytop Lodge, mm -hmm. she's a wonderful uh, young lady, we were talking about her the other day, and she was always very cheerful and handled it well, but you knew that every time we came in, that was more work for her. She had to make sure the chairs were set up. She had to make sure blah, 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 for us, so that we, when we came, everybody was expecting us. They paid a lot of money to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, people are, you're just an extra task for them, and, and uh, it ain't going to get done. You have to figure out another way to ensure it, rather than well, just yeah. telling them, because they won't hear it. You know? Will it make a theater always leave it cleaner than you found it? Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, yeah, that's I, on more than one occasion when Brian and I have done gigs, we walked in and I've seen him go, oh, you know, I, in yeah. fact, it's the last gig we just did. You know, we had, you know, he was up there being director as he is, saying, Dave, you know, refocus this light here, refocus that light here, and having somebody walk across so we could see where it washed or it didn't wash, that sort of thing. But these are all things that we took care of as a company that I think the people, I'm not even sure if the people that hired us know we do all. Well, I think they do because they saw us doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, so they know <laughs> somebody's messing with their lights during Christmas time because for four years they've had to go and reset them. Reset, reset them in January. The fuck our lights. <laughs> but yeah. And they should know after four years, and maybe I should say something to them after four years. But they can't focus the lights. They're not lighting guys. We're talking about ceiling lights, you yeah. know, track lights that... You put your writer in your contract, you need a lighting man present provided by them. Right. We couldn't, we couldn't <laughs> right. afford a piano this year. 
<laughs> Screw the piano. Yeah, Let's get a lighting guy that can play the piano. Yeah, to do Christmas carols by harmonica. Well, I think also what happens is, particularly when we're working with a food venue, is the food venue comes in and says, okay, this is the best for this. This yeah. is going to work well for us, not knowing that this does not work at all for yeah. theater. No idea what the sight lines are, putting people with their backs to the uh, stage, seating them you know, with their backs to the stage at their tables. So when I did the recent show that I did, uh, which was called The Will to Live, and we did it for a, a fundraiser for Hershey Public Library, I made sure to go and visit the, um, the caterer. And I introduced myself, told her what we were doing, went over the schedule as to what was going, what was going to happen when. And when I got there and we looked around, there were a couple tables that were askew, mm -hmm. but nothing we couldn't handle. But everything was pretty much ready to go, ready to rock, and everything as far as food coming out of the show, like a clockwork, and I think that really just makes a difference. You know, sure. Just a little thing. Yeah. But I always give the uh, kitchen a schedule. Yeah. Kitchen schedule. Yes, I do that. Yeah. So, a gun going off is something not going on, rather, but something else, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Chuck looks at me and goes, what, what do I do? He fires it once, doesn't go, fires it again, doesn't go, fires it a third time, doesn't go. Meanwhile, the audience knows something's supposed to go. On. He goes, what do I do? Do I go bang? Or <laughs> yeah. no, I'll just scream. Only for a while. Right. <laughs> just, just what do I do? Go bang? <laughs> oh, yeah. There was an occurrence like that in, in college, just or something went wrong. They had to adjust on stage. Where uh, I think it was in one of the uh, Prince Hal Shakespearean plays. Was that Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two? But um, there's somebody killed somebody, and they were supposed to kill him with a sword. But in the sword fight, they accidentally lost it and it fell down the orchestra pit. And there they were, but they're supposed to kill the, uh, the the guy. So apparently, he grabbed his head and he banged his head on the stage, saying, "Die, damn you, die!" I've seen some actors like to do that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, David, yes. you're, uh, you did a lot of directing with us and for us over the years and projects we were involved in. You remember some of the shows uh, you directed at? Uh, One of pops up right away is Three May Peaches. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, well, for a couple of reasons. One, since we're you know we're telling tales here, I had an actor who um, I said to but him. But no one here will pass them on. Okay, right. Uh, I said, uh, okay, what I need you to do is I need you to cross downstage right. He's like, I can't do this. I'm like, you sure you can. It's not that hard. You just, <laughs> just cross downstage. You're this center. is right. <laughs> That's right. You cross down. Put your right hand out. Follow it. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 I can't. Pick your nose. That's your right hand. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do this. And I said, okay, I'm trying to be sensible. Yeah, we need motivation. Yes, yeah, motivation is a Stanislavski thing. It's a children's piece. You know. So I'm like, what, what? What's the problem? And then he just looked at me. He goes, I lied in my resume. I'm not who I said I was, and I can't feel good about doing this show without telling you. I've never acted before in my life. <laughs> I never acted before in my life. I don't know downstage <laughs> left. I don't know right, downstage yeah, right. So I looked at him and I said, is, is it all? And he goes, yeah. And I said, okay, downstage right is over here. Across the <laughs> yeah, over there. <laughs> Fucking actors. <laughs> Too late for that. We're here. We're, you're here now. <laughs> I can tell you another actor. You ain't leaving, buddy. But the other thing that I remember, too, I don't know if you guys remember, but we had the privilege of representing the uh, Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair at the International Children's Festival mm -hmm. in yeah. Philadelphia. 89, yeah. that was it. Her Majesty's Garter. Yes, Her Majesty's Garter. Yeah, uh, it is a script we could have read. <laughs> have to find it, though. <laughs> have to transcribe it. 
we wrote the title for her, and then three months later wrote the script because yeah. they needed a title for the program. So we just went, oh, we'll make it Her Majesty's Garter. <laughs> three months later, we wrote the script. That was, that was a great performance by Dave. I've got that on tape somewhere. Yeah. Oh. Got one of those. <laughs> and Babs. Yes, Joe yeah. Babs. Well, moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyway, where the hell were we? International Children's Festival. Yeah, yeah. The International Children's Festival. What happened at that particular time, and what I still take with me, is... Um, there was a situation where one of the actors was having a hard time with the kids. The kids were not paying attention. They were being kids. <laughs> and so this particular actor stepped forward and just screamed at the kids, which, of course, you know, just endears you to kids that much Ooh. more. You know? so, and to parents as well. Yeah. I, you know, when we were finished, I took this person aside and said, no, no, you don't, no, 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 no. And then I remembered a long time ago, when Moses was a baby. <laughs> In all seriousness, a long time ago, I wrote a paper um, on the Federal Theater Project, mm-hmm. and one of the individuals that I remember very well is Charlotte Corpenning. Charlotte Corpenning is known as the first lady of children's theater. Mm-hmm. And I was reading through one of her scripts, and she was giving comments to uh, directors or future directors on how to do children's theater. And one of the uh, devices that she came up with is what's called a control device. Now, some people already know that. depends on you know what they have, improvisation, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is that you make the kids part of the story, make it something cool, and when things mm-hmm. start going awry, whatever device, you know, I need you to be the wind, I need you to be whatever it is, kind of like what we do anyway. But you mm-hmm. give them a role to play so that they're actively involved in the story. Yeah. At the same time, because they're actively involved in the story, all the ambient noise, for the most part, usually dissipates. Yeah. Because they're concentrating on what's going on with the story. <laughs> or they're seeing their friend up there if they're not. Getting, right, exactly. Watching carefully, yeah. So, you know, using the things that I've learned from you, and then, you know, again, uh, giving tribute to Charlotte Corpetting, you know, I, I use that control advice later, and it, it worked like a charm. You know, I mean, the kids felt part of it. The, te- the teachers came up afterwards and said that was a great story. It was loved how you used the... Yeah. Our, our kids, I hope you guys are back next year, but I think it's every five years. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> so anyway, that's that's one of the two of the things I remember. Um, you asked them what their favorite part was, and they said, where that actor screamed at the kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but those are the two you things. do that again. Um, but I remember, too, though, as an actor, not as a director, but as an actor, in 87, just going, oh, my God. God, Dennis O'Brien, can't you give us five more minutes to like, eat our lunch? Because I was... Sure, if you want to work until 11.05 tonight. <laughs> I was part of... A, I, I think you guys were thinking very highly of me, putting, putting me in fools of defense. And that was the one group that really didn't take lunch. We had lunch while we were working. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I, I was one tired puppy. I was probably in the best shape of my life, though, too, Yeah. at that point. But, oh my gosh, I just remember thinking... How old were you then? 27. That's when I... Yeah, I was 27. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wow. But it was, I mean, that, it was intense. But, you know, the one thing that... I, I don't mean any disrespect to the new Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, but the one thing that, that seems to be missing is the, um, the compassion for other individuals when you share the moment that's created. Even if it's something like holding hands at a pub thing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, or really seeing a, a fine piece of theater, and you're sitting there, and you know there's all kinds of things going around you, but you see one actor and another actress that are just so into the moment and so focused on what's going on, you're like, wow, 
this is this is just as good as anything I've seen at the Shaw Festival or or on yeah. Broadway or, or something like that. You know, those are those are the the moments that I unfortunately have not seen in in the newer Renaissance Fair. Well, you know, you have to plan for them. You have to want those moments. You have to know they exist. Yeah, first but, of all. I, but I also think part of that has to do with the respect of people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In, in involving those people, that's where I'm going back to what, what you know my scholarship was concentrating on. And I don't see this. What I, what I see happening, Dennis, is okay. We're gonna do a show here. We're gonna do a show here. Gonna do a show here. Gonna do a show here. We'll get these black fires to fill in for street, and they end up essentially aggravating to each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Instead of Active actually, meeting, yeah. instead of actually getting into the black fires are community players. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And then you have yeah, they're amateurs, and they love the they love the uh, event. They want to be there, and they want to be involved. It's cool. Now, in in defense of Pennsylvania, their new Pennsylvania. I mean, they have some acts that are phenomenal. I mean, they're singing and dancing, but that's what you see. And right. if you miss it. Well, look at the... Uh, it's, well, it's coming back to the point of view thing that I was talking about earlier. Most Renaissance fairs now are from the point of view we're a modern festival with a Renaissance theme. Yes. You walk in and they're not trying to create the illusion of stepping back in time. There's, it's a party. It's a big party, yeah. It's that's a big great party. party. Yeah. And that's that's the way it is. It's just it's just completely foreign and different to well, what we've done Well, I think this is corporate America's fault, but I want to go on record here saying, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's a lot harder, and it's a, and we're talking about the respect for the audience. Is they are taking kind of the easy way of addressing what the audience's expectations are. We yeah, change and confound their expectations and bring them to a different place, to a different experience. It's more experiential. There's more, but it's harder. I have to say, you have more responsibility to your audience when you're doing theater than when you're doing carnival. Mm -hmm. My responsibility to my art as carnival is just to do the show. entertain, distract, detain. But yeah, as, as a theater, you better get them involved. They better have an emotional experience. They better leave more expansive people than when they came. In some in some sense, I certainly oh, do. Certainly <laughs> know because many fairs, turkey legs. fairs have gotten so much bigger. It's becomes an, a, an almost impossible task because there are so many more. When you 10,000 people on 20 acres, that's, you know, yeah. manageable. When you're doing 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 people, the ratio between performer and audience member, it's so overwhelming that I don't know that you can maintain the illusion. You would need a huge acting company. They would have to be trained to the nth degree, which means dozens of directors and what we were doing times 10, you can imagine. Uh, mm -hmm. It would have been hard at the top, I could say for myself, <laughs> it would have been hard at the top to lose, or easy at the top to lose track of what's going on and to lose that intimate feeling. I don't know all the actors because we have 400 of them mm -hmm. instead of 40 where you can right. actually get to know each one of them. Even so, it's an extension and a lot of uh, people in charge of artistic productions like that are going to push it off on somebody else, the, the quote, the drudgery of it. And that's uh, unfortunately misses the point, I think, of, of uh, it has, you're trying to push responsibility downwards. You're trying mm -hmm. to equalize the creative process. Somebody hires somebody, somebody is uh, hired by somebody, but still you're working together as best you can. If you feel that you have a genuine place in the production, which we try to have our actors feel like and gave them those opportunities mm -hmm. to feel, freely create themselves. Venues have gotten so big and so theme parkish that I don't know that that can be done. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and then, you, you know, you can't pay the cast, you can't do that year-round, and really, I don't know that you can maintain that and keep the numbers, so it has, kind of by default, has to go to Carnival. With those kinds of numbers, uh, unfortunately, I find myself agreeing with what you say. 
However, there's like a critical mass point where yes, you, there's just too many people. But there's, you know, there's. <laughs> I think there's got to be a venue though, whether it's the feast, or you know, maybe call it the Queen's Feast or whatever it is, where you have some interaction with the characters that are a little, little more <coughs> personal. You, you know? do you do pockets like this yes. area, this kingdom, right? This this certain acreage over here is the fantasy kingdom where you actually get that kind of interaction, and the rest is. You're saying how to handle it, then this might be to have pockets of interaction. That uh -huh. feast is well controlled like we like to do, and you used to step into that feast, and it's stepped back in time. Uh, you go over to that part of the village <coughs> yeah. uh, where the actors and troubadours have gathered because the queen is here, and it's all stages, and everybody's in character there. But then you go to the merchant sections <laughs> and the other parts of town, and you don't care so much. You don't worry about the, the anachronisms and that. So that's what they've become, is that what you're saying? Yep. Well, no, I'm saying that's what it could become. Yeah. Uh, no, there, I think there are some that are, that are pretty much to make show it for show, show. And quality control on the independent acts and making sure that they're not just an acronym after an acronym. But you remember it was always a game, and I, I mm -hmm. actually uh, chuckle about it um, now. Like with Nicola, for instance, uh, our, our friend, our wonderful uh, juggler entertainer, uh, friend Nicola would do his show on, on the Globe, I remember the first year, and made it a point of asking all the independents, as well as anybody involved, you're part of the show, you're on stage, here's our illusion, help us create that, help us keep it in the 16th century. So Nicolo, with his mischievous self, when he thought I wasn't looking or Brian wasn't there, would go into his regular act, which worked fine for him. It's like, why the fuck did I change? I worked on it, it's brilliant, everybody loves it. And we did, we loved it. But uh, one time I hid backstage at the, at the Globe. And I listened to him do his act, and when he came backstage after finishing, I was just standing there. <laughs> and uh, so it was always, I, I did, yeah, it was hard hard to hard to not uh, mm -hmm. feel good about Niccolo and his energy. But it, it, getting people to, to change what they're doing, to play along, is really, really hard. The actors, you've hired to do that, and they understand that. The other people just want to sell their stuff or whatever. Yeah, right. And go home. I remember after three years at Mount Hope of uh, having those meetings, where we had weekly meetings with the uh, crafts people, with the food people, mm -hmm. uh, with the uh, independents, with the uh, uh, Blackfriars, oh, yeah. and later the Greyfriars. You have all those meetings, and you have to make sense. You just don't show up and conduct a meeting. I got maybe fifty people there. I have to inspire them. I have to make them feel like, okay, I'll go out and do what the what the asshole says and see if it really mm -hmm. works. And you know, that's... Yeah, lessons and stuff. And they griped and they bitched just like the actors and now years later you go back and they... Yeah. Remember the workshops and Alan yeah. Kretschmar leading the history for the crafters? Yeah. We should still do that. These new people, they don't know what they're doing. They need work. These are the same people that were griping about having to do workshops 20 years even ago. As recent, even as recent <laughs> as 89, we came there in 87. At the end of 89, I had one of the leaders of the, of the vendors, I can't remember, uh, come up to me and say, you were right, Dennis, you were right. But we played along and made a better event. We made more money because of the nature of what happened. It was unique enough and unusual enough and brought in the kind of people that uh, that it turned out would, could really support what we were doing to create this, try and create a seamless illusion. And I was really gratified to hear that, that they were, of course, then we left <laughs> after building all that. It's just a different event now. The Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair is not what it was when we very different from when we were there. It's on the same place, has the same name, the same theme, roughly. But after that, when you have an electric band on the globe during Fair Day, you're as far removed of what we were, from what we were trying to do as, uh, as or the Boca Band I saw when I was there the first time. It's just like man, it's it's a carnival now, and that's fine. It works very well. Like they have a lot of fun, a lot of stuff to do. But it, it's not 
theater. It's not what we're doing. Maybe pockets of wonderful acting and theater going on, but as a, as a production, as a presentation, yeah. From what I saw when I was there before, it was far from that. But I know that people there, like Dylan and 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 others, who are working really hard to do uh, to make it as good a performance, doing mm -hmm. their their attempt. Yeah, still theater. a lot of good individual performances, despite the restrictions. Yeah. What year were you there? I guess when Dylan was there? Well, I was there in, in uh, 85 and 6. I mean, what year was the last year? When uh -huh. was the last year you were there to, to see it? To see it? Yeah. Um, 2009. It's it's successful. We all, we all wanted to be uh, successful. Remember the first season in 87, we were there. There was high hopes. We had a, we had a, f a full-time acting company now. We had all these other shows we were going to, planning to do, like the Dickens show to turn... Um, the Christmas show they did in there and add Dickens characters plus keep the characters that, to keep those shows going to uh, add school shows we did all that the first year not only outdoor uh, classroom classroom but the touring shows as well did all that the first year and then 12 out of 15 weekends fair's going to run twice as long as it ever had before 12 out of 15 weekends are rain and you're really screwed and I'm my office is sitting there and you're looking out the window and I could see all the cars every car that came in drove by my window and I'm Great days, man. They were just all the time, forever, all day. They're doing it, and on you on bad days, just there, and they never show up. It's an occasional car. Oh, it's like oh. well, that was the busiest hard. day. Busiest day you guys had like thirty, forty thousand. No, no, no. no. The busiest day in those three years was six thousand, um, and that was enough to back it up on the interstate because they only had one guy at the toll booth, and the capacity is about ten thousand on the grounds. Uh, about five hundred people per acre is about twenty acres. The Joust Track used to be a small, enclosed place with a raised platform, quite a, quite a bit raised, 15 feet or so. You could pack 3,000 people in there, it was shoulder to shoulder. They were close to the action, but not too close. Uh, the actors could be heard without amplification. We had uh, nice joust and nice fights, and uh, it was great. And then it was decided to build a huge joust arena that would hold 7,000 people. And for the longest time, as far as I know, I don't know if it's the case now, maybe they fill it. But when it's not filled, you have an audience that's separated by sometimes yards, pockets of audience. Nothing is worse for a show than to split the audience up and make them distance mm -hmm. from themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that was unfortunate because that little theater space, there was a lot of great little theater spaces, but that joust track was a beautiful spot. You could see well everywhere. You felt like you were close even at the furthest things, and it was walled off on one end, they raised the, the bank that year for us, and so mm -hmm. it wasn't just a level thing. It was, it was great to see the actors are intermingling as well as, yeah, that was a nice thing. It's another it example nice. of uh, corporate raising its I-know-best head. Yeah, in that, profit uh, motive above everything else. <clears throat> well, what I'm thinking of specifically is the producer at the time had hired a gentleman to come in who had done a lot of work for Disney, and uh, right. he... And I was taking notes as we were going through, and the producer was, I think, talking to you or maybe back talking to the PR person we had at the time. And uh, the gentleman that was hired looked at me and goes, doesn't this guy want to know what I, what I think about here? You know, and I said, well, I, that's why I'm here. I'm writing this all down. He goes, well, it's his money. But yeah. I do remember at one particular point in time, we came to <coughs> an area just at the time. It was, it was behind what was, when we had the jousting field, it was behind the jousting field. Mm -hmm. And I remember the producer saying that he wanted to put the, the, the jousting field there. And 
this man who is an architect slash uh, what's the word? He was a he, a water uh, designer, yeah. uh, strictly water, you know, yeah. in, the, in the park. But he set up the water things, and he wanted to put that there. But yeah, I'm sorry. But he's well. He said, "This guy, don't put whatever you do. Don't put the joust here." Mm, right, because that's the lowest point. That's where all the water heads. Right, yeah. because that that would be disastrous. Yeah, <laughs> and sure, sure enough, you know, once again, I guess when you have the money and you feel this is the best for the show, even though. Ex- experts, uh, and I let me just emphasize the word experts, tell you yeah. you're going to have problems if you do this. And yet they did it anyway, and guess what? They had problems with water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, uh, the uh, he spent two days with us. You remember we were in long meetings with the planning and all that. He explained everything. His I remember seeing blueprints, had, yeah. His company, yeah, drawn up. And, oh, thanks. So we, all of us had spent, <laughs> it was about... Ten people at those meetings, I think, had spent a lot of time, and then uh, it turned right around and got changed immediately because he said he had opened the jazz track there and it was decided to, which meant that the wonderful jazz track went away. And sure, you can hold more people, but it's always better to have a show that people are trying to get into and can't because it's sold out or whatever than to have a show it's so where big. it's too big that you know people never see it filled. Yeah, or if they do come the first time, they look at it and go, well, this isn't very good, there's hardly anybody here. Yeah. That jazz track floods every year to this day. Oh, yeah. Okay, next topic. (laughs) I think I'm done with Mount Hope. Yeah. (laughs) But there are some beautiful things that happened there. It's good to to, uh, recall them because we're the few people that really remember. I was only two, I can't remember. You you got knighted, though. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I I think that we should uh, emphasize in a positive light is the, you know, we try to be historically accurate as possible. Like, um, oh God, I forgot his name, isn't that funny? Isaac? Isaac. Um, Meyerstown? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was Meyer, wasn't it? Isaac Meyer? Isaac M- Moyer? Meyer? This is funny. Historical is accurate, but yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. Isaac Moyer. Yeah. But, you know, and we did a lot of research on that. Even when I played Dickens, I did a lot of research on Dickens. You know, Poe, same thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... And, of course, as the artistic staff, we all had to research those things because you got to know if you want to get involved. Is there enough material in Poe right. to make it worthwhile, for instance? Yeah. <coughs> Doing research now is probably way easier, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had to do books. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. How antiquated. books, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember those. <laughs> yeah. It'd be uh, a lot easier now. It's, it's amazing all the information at your fingertips, uh, whether it's the spelling, pronunciation, or definition of a word, whether it's a video, whether it's a song. It's just incredible. And yet, people don't seem to be a whole lot smarter for all of that. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't even feel smarter myself with access to all that information. Well, yeah, one of the things you have to ask yourself, too, is what's the source? You know, I mm-hmm. was telling Brian, uh, as a professor, I have to look at the sources on the reference page. And I actually had one of my students quote The Onion as a reliable <laughs> 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 source. You don't know The Onion is a satirical paper. It's not no. meant to be used as a source. I, love I had a good laugh at that, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I mean that's what happens. I mean, people are she like, backed it up with a quote from The Inquirer. <laughs> I like it when you post The Onion on Facebook and people make serious comments on mm-hmm. it. I think it's a real article. You don't realize. There's that other page. It caught me a couple of times where I read, started reading and I go, wait a minute, and then look back up. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. There's another page that's less obvious than the onion that it's uh, pulling your leg. I've seen into that before. I may think it's the current, yeah. The U.S. Congress report? <laughs> no, USA Today. Yeah. <laughs> Fox News? Yeah. 
The, the other, you know, um, we were talking about Poe a little bit a while, a while ago there. And I, I have to say, I, I don't think anybody did what, what, we, what we did. And, I mean, as a small company doing what we did when we did, as far as the whole Prince Prospero coming in, the, uh, the Masculine Red Death, and the very end of the night, lighting somebody on fire. And then, you know, I mean, that was spectacular in itself. And then when he doesn't die, shooting him, you know. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job of that. <laughs> you know, uh, I got three or four versions of that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, DVD. it's morbid, <laughs> really. Yeah. But, well, a full body burn, that was still the most intense theatrical yeah. experience I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Doing a live burn. How many people actually 18 nights in a row. Just Michael is the only yeah. one crazy enough. Eighteen and a half second yeah. burn, full body burn, <clears throat> and he did it every night, which is unheard of because most uh, stunt yeah. guys only want to do it once, and you hit it with eighteen cameras, and that's it. I'm not doing it again. Not pushing my luck, but Michael pushed his luck every every day for us, and mm -hmm. did a great job. And I lost track of Michael. Uh, you know, I had phone contact with him. We were going to talk, and and certain stuff happened, uh, and I let time go by, and. Uh, now when I call the number, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it doesn't identify itself. And I hope I can find them, because... But there are a few moments that... He was that, a big part of that, too. Mm -hmm. There are a few moments that an actor, you know, experiences in his or her life when you can't step back and go, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> and uh, I have to say, um, at the end of that scenario, after Michael was burned, and then Prince Prospero looked down to me as the Duke and said, or actually asked... The team that was with Michael is he dead? And they'd shake his their head no, and then he'd say, "Duke, finish him off." Yeah. And then I would turn, and I would of course, you know, make sure the gun was upstage so it wouldn't hit him. But it looked <clears> at <throat> the angle like I was firing at him. There's always a big blast, boom. You're at the big arena, by yeah. the way, with thousands of people watching. Right. Yeah. And sometimes the boom was so so loud that it set the car alarms off up above the. <laughs> <laughs> what was really scary to me, though, is that once I did that shot and then turned around and then raised the gun above my head, the audience went absolutely nuts. Yeah. And I thought, this is so fucking weird. This is so sick. <laughs> this is, you know what I mean? What exactly does this say about you know, society? What, 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 you know, I'm a character, you know, and this is a show, and you guys are like, you're eating this up a little. Too <laughs> realistically for me right now. <laughs> I need a drink. <laughs> Here, hold my hand. <laughs> yeah, I think Michael said that after uh, after his uh, performances, that it drove him to, to drinking before uh, too long because of the intense nature. Of oh, it's his life oh, absolutely. Night, yeah. It was extremely intense. Yeah, he was. He felt like he'd had an out of body experience each night. We'd be at the bar, and he'd be like, "I just died and came back to life." Yeah. I just, you know, I was I was dead. I was burned to death. I was, and then I came back to life. It was an intense emotional experience. Short of a war situation, I think that's that's courage. Mm -hmm. uh, the real sense. So, some of the moments, though, like uh, Alan Kreshmar and Swanee, you know, when he would get down his knees, Swanee, how oh, I love you, how I mean, yeah. and then you know, Mark Priest, God rest his soul, always taking mm -hmm. something that he heard and making it his own. Mm -hmm. For years, I thought, well, I thought it was brilliant, only to find out he'd stolen <laughs> almost, almost everything. No offense, but uh, he just made it his own, though. Yeah, steal, one. steal from the best. That's right. And that's one of the great qualities of an actor is, is, is sponge you have to absorb. Because you well, like I said, you, know, the credit to you want to change it a little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what he did. He changed like it. Like I said, like the, whole, mm -hmm. the purview of Friar Finch or Friar Tubbins. 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 Finch yeah. or Tubbins. I remember he really pissed me one time. I think... Uh, 
when we brought him down to Mount Hope and he uh, he wanted to bring the friar and I mentioned the wrong friar and he was like him the other guy yeah, right. <laughs> when he visited the Poconos uh, he, wanted, he wanted to play the friar well, I remember I think it was before that but oh, okay. uh, where he uh, oh right because yeah. I'd only seen him do Finch up at uh, Sterl mm-hmm. Friar Finch and then I said okay great friar, well, friar Finch no it's Friar Tubbins great does he do the same stuff? Is he as good? Yes. <laughs> it's pretty yep. much the same character. <laughs> what was different for him, and that's certainly right. understandable. For us, it was like, it's a great friar. More mm-hmm. details uh, don't, are unnecessary. This old church text. Oh, bless Mark. He's not with us anymore, but he uh, was a, a great performer. and uh, I knew that from the first moment I met him up in, uh, in Sterling, or saw him perform. It's just a, the strength, his friar was the quintessential friar, everything you'd ever want from a, a yeah. medieval to renaissance friar. Yes, yes, it's hard to hold a candle. Yeah, the humor, the quick wit, the, the knowledge, the, uh, and he, his, his character would change. If you remember when he was addressing the crowds, he would mm-hmm. take on this kind of... Julius Caesar kind And of then course. when he wasn't there, it was more like this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, he even changed dialect. Yeah, he knew knew he how to do it really well. He knew what he was doing. And you guys knew Mark from uh, before I met him. He, he from Sterling, right? Yeah. Yes, there's that famous story about <laughs> Mark telling Brian to go, to go into the go to town and pick up some. Yeah, some I, I have beer. more rehearsals. Take my car. Here's the keys. Go into town and pick up some liquor so, and some beer. So yeah. Brian does. So I did. <laughs> I come back with the liquor and the beer. Here are your keys. And by the way, I don't have a license. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was more concerned that he got the liquor and the beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Those were the days when you didn't drive, I remember. Yeah, I still, oh, yeah. Well, I drove. <laughs> Not leaving. You drove, but yeah. Yes, but those uh, are stories for another time. I haven't had a license or a car for like six years. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, well, transportation down here, right? Yeah, down in uh, Central America, it's like $2 to get a taxi across town, so they don't really need a, need a car. Luckily, because they're horrible drivers. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be driving there. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, windy, uh, steep roads there too, huh? Yeah, mountains and stuff. That, they don't uh, take care of it. There's huge holes. And yeah, <laughs> visit my parents. They live in Mexico, and I they want me to drive them. Yeah. No, no. Mm-hmm. I flat, I flat out refused. I'm not taking your car and driving you somewhere. <laughs> I'm not getting out in that. I do not trust. I do not understand. Yeah. I do not speak the language. I don't speak the body language. I don't speak the car language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, it's just potholes everywhere. Driving and mm-hmm. thinking about driving forces and how uh, you two were more more so labeled this particular term than myself, although occasionally I got it too, the anachronarchs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, you, you've got your Visa here, you got your Coca-Cola, or you know, you got this, that, and the other thing. Yes, Lady Visa or Lord MasterCard is fine, but not, you know, don't put that logo out there. So, and, you know, a lot, a lot of people, of course, were not happy with the two of you, or with me, depending on, you know, what your yeah. is, quite honestly. Yeah. But I will never forget Pat Singer when we did the Pokemon <coughs> Fair, and we had the big building, and she said, the BFB. Jesus fucking Christ, I can't believe you burlap that whole fucking building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the football field, like, building. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and uh, Brian explained to me, and I explained to her, well, it was cheaper to burlap it than it was to paint it. <laughs> <laughs> the whole western front of this 100-yard 
arcade. Isn't it 30,000 square feet? Colored like 30 or something? It was 100 yards long. No, it was literally, literally a football field long. long. It was a 30, 30 wide, yeah. 30,000 feet. What was that? Oh, 50 <laughs> It was deep. Yeah. No, I just, you know. Well, the uh, I remember going around that first year when we were there, and here again, we, we came in and uh, we, we performed at the fair before, but suddenly we're telling these people what we, what we would like them to do, asking them to do, and remember going around and saying, okay, there's your <coughs> credit card machine. Cover it up. Cover it up with a cloth. Burlap is cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, use that. <laughs> uh, don't smoke back there, please. Cigarettes are not, period. Don't do that. Put it on this burlap. Uh, what else? Don't play music. Uh, don't play music that's... Uh, cover your boombox with burlap. <laughs> yeah, cover your... A lot of the, the burlap is there. <laughs> but that was one that uh, they resisted that a lot, and understandably so. But once it was uh, once it was done, man, you got a you got a better show. It looks like somebody cared. It looks like yeah. we always wanted to look like somebody had been there before you as a patron, and 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 made sure the experience was part of the whole. And it was, that was somebody made a comment to you like that at one point. And yeah, and, and, and everywhere I went, it looked like somebody had been there and thought about it. At Dickens, one of the press people came up to mm -hmm. me and said uh, and said, I just want to tell you. That she really, she said, I really appreciate that, and I laughed, and I said, well, that's that's good because the owner uh, told me that nobody would nobody would notice, so I appreciate you <laughs> telling me that. Depth. Gene used to, our good friend Gene McDaniel's used to say the difference between uh, uh, foreign cars and American cars was that it was detail. The, the European cars, the, the attention was paid to detail, and that's uh, the key in having anything be have more depth and, and be more of a fine production, as it were can do that in theater as well as uh, as cars. Um, I am not in the role of craft coordinator for the new fair, but the one thing that uh, I felt as much as they bitched at me for having to do this and do that is that they at least felt as though they were part of the family, mm -hmm. you know? And you know, it just doesn't seem like that at all. And, and not just at where Pennsylvania is today, but at other fairs as well. It's uh, well, hey, I, I took a lot of flack from uh, uh, to get that. You know yeah. I mean, when Chuck hired me, he thought, and then I hired Brian, and Brian said, "Hey, let me bring Dave in." You and I know each other from Sterling, and it grew from there. We already had Lorraine running, but but uh, it was a tough sell to Chuck. He just never got it uh, that the artistic things were going to be important, just like the vendors did. You know that it was going to help actually make the business. He he uh, he didn't see that, so we wrestled on a lot of on a lot of things. Um, but uh, but ultimately speaking, you look at it as theater because that's what it is. A, a, a more you have a opportunity to be deeper, to be more uh, uh, moving, to be more memorable. Remember that uh, picture I have of uh, a guy being dragged in by his wife into the fair. I was there at the gate, at the opening gate, and he's been dragged in. I don't want to come. He looks at me, you know, I don't want to come. That's that. And at the end of the day, I saw him again with his arm around a character. And his wife singing and saying, "I'm coming back tomorrow." It was just that dramatic. That well, you you just uh, I mean, you think about theater. On theater, you're talking about the phenomenology of experience. I mean, that's what, what phenomenology is, really. Yeah. But making it more real to individuals by paying paying attention to those details makes the difference. I mean, maybe anybody can be corporate Disney and say, "Here, you know, put on a show, yeah. have fun." Well, Smith worked at Disney. He could talk about that atmosphere. But I just know for myself uh, that Disney was always way artificial, except for uh, the wonderful world of Disney television show. I always loved that, and Mickey Mouse. 
But uh, <laughs> going to Disneyland and that whole thing just seemed really artificial. And did they used to dress those? Uh, here comes Mickey, you know. I'm as a kid. I'm supposed to believe that this uh, guy that's like eight feet tall in his costume is Mickey Mouse. Am I stupid? So that was always a tough. <laughs> well, it to, depends. Did you believe? <laughs> I, was, I was annoyed. I was an industrial engineer there in the parks. I had to. F- I had to watch all the shows. Like I was there with a clipboard watching the tech guys. I had to make sure the tech guys were all needed. And it turned out like almost all the shows, like half of their hours were just bullshit. They were just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. They never fired anyone. They just moved them to other shows to work on. But <clears throat> so I had to watch the same Disney shows in, night in, night out, uh, and they'd run like three or so a day. Uh, it's pretty crazy. And they all have like. It's all the same show. Yeah. As you got to know them, all the same show in terms of... No, not all. I mean, it's the same show every night. They all right. But what did you... Uh, uh, what kind of effect did it have on you to see multiple performances of the same show? Uh, uh, I don't know. It got kind of boring. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the people love Disney. Like it's, they have a cult following. Almost. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's just thousands of people that love it, so... Yeah. It doesn't matter if it sucks or not, people are still going to flock in, so they don't, they just try to cut the expenses as much as they can, and that's why they put me in there to watch if they were That's exactly Kind of like an efficiency expert. That was exactly what I was, as an efficiency expert. Sometimes yeah. it was labor, sometimes it was like the lines of the roller coasters, sometimes it was the hat shops layout, making sure it's efficient, just all different kinds of stuff like that. But the theater part of it was interesting, yeah, because I got to see all, and I got to go in the underground tunnel where all the actors are, you see like eight different Cinderella's and like Peter Pan's everywhere, and you're like, wow, this is really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Most people don't see that, they just hear about it. Because they have, uh, what, thousands, hundreds if not thousands of Yeah, there's multiple of each actor going each day, and they take, they switch out, take breaks, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Some of their shows have like hundreds of actors in them, so... Yeah, we know a lot of, I know a lot of actors, actors that, a lot of people from Ren, Ren Fairs, especially Pennsylvania and Sterling, yeah. end up going to uh, Disney. Because of the Gary connection, among other things, I'm sure. Yeah, well, they have the streetmosphere and mm-hmm. things that focus on that. Yeah. I said, oh, that? Yeah. <laughs> I know you yeah. yeah. It's not really, it's chemicals. Chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> Mighty tasty, too. Remember that Twister. gal? She was my taste. Did you see the uh, a copy uh, posted online of uh, Fools of Defense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great, great uh, that we had that. Uh, it was Kevin, I believe, from uh, Take One doing the shoot mm-hmm. for that, and it was it was cool. I, it's group. I'm always grateful when something is captured that otherwise would have been lost in the mm-hmm. ether, you know, in performance. My niece said to me. You know, the great thing about Facebook is I can see where you were for the last 20 years, Uncle Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not me. Well, you don't know my age. Oh. An enigma. No, I mean, you can't see where I've been the last 20 years. <laughs> 20 years ago. Too easy. <laughs> yeah, too easy. I was setting them up. You're supposed to knock it down. Mm. Well, 20 years ago this time, uh, we had just finished the first year of the Pocono Renaissance Fair. And um, well, started Skytop. And Christmas, no, Christmas Sky, started Skytop, huh? Christmas feasts out at Plenty uh, Fancy? That was uh, 87 we started those. So 20 years ago, 93, we're finishing the first year of the Pocono. Uh-huh. What was the max capacity of that fair each day, would you say? At which fair? The Pocono. The max capacity? Mm-hmm. Like six. 
6,000. Oh, if we had filled it, how many were we filled it? I don't know, 6,000. It's a pretty small place, really. It would have been shoulder to shoulder if we got 6,000 people. Mm -hmm. Standing in the jazz track included. Right, yeah. <laughs> Not even that. Probably, uh, we'd have been happy with 3,000. We'd still be open. But well, Lake would have helped sooner. We think we maxed out. I think the biggest crowd we ever had was eighteen hundred, which is kind of funny because at Poe we pulled over three thousand. Yeah, they came to see the burn. They mm -hmm. came to see Mike. Well, and the haunted house. Anything the haunted house. Anything that's just haunted house. They, when you build it, they will come. Well, that haunted house has, <laughs> There's no question yeah, about it. Yeah, because Halloween comes around, and everyone's like, "What am I gonna do? Can't go." Trick or treating. No, so let's scare the shit out of you. Okay. Yeah, there can't. There doesn't seem to be any like cap on how many haunted houses there can be. If you build it, they will come. If you just slap the name haunted house on, a, <laughs> on an outhouse. On your grandma's house. On an outhouse, you know, people will pay to go in and out. Said, scared the shit out of me, that outhouse. <laughs> I thought I took some scary That's shit. That's worth 10 bucks. It was still an online uh, haunted house. An online haunted house. There is a lot. You know, Let's just, do one. Oh. Yeah, you just basically put space there. Oh, you too. And, and, and it ain't really funny, no, but I mean, the whole idea <laughs> here is that it's constant at any particular point in time without you without any warning. Uh, yeah. You scare the person. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a, it's a pipe dream. One of our young, <laughs> young uh, friends, filmmakers, one of our young filmmaker friends up in Maine did a little video like that, a little one minute uh, thing, which they had. But it was, it was very well done. I worked at that haunted house you guys had in Hartford. It was fun. Oh! That was, uh, yeah, that was tough because we had to adjust to what Al had bought despite our recommendations. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're talking about the real one. Down. There was a real one with all those props and stuff, and then there was like a, a side one. Mm -hmm. I worked in the side one, and it actually turned out people were always saying oh, it was you're better. Oh, you were in the children's ones. said it was better. They said the children's one was better than the real one because we were actually jumping out of closets and mm -hmm. really scaring them and stuff. Yeah. Like, and special effects. Yeah, it would have been much much better. We we uh, we counseled the uh, like my first job. money guy to not not buy those things because they'd been part of an exhibit there for several years before we got there. We wanted to do something entirely different. Was like, oh no, we use this stuff. It's for so cheap, and oh, and then we're forced to use an old elevator. And oh my God, I'm scary. But the one at the one at the Poconos was all designed by us, and uh, I remember we had. Were you in Hartford? I remember we had uh, people come and tell us their worst experiences in a haunted house, what scared them the most, and, and our uh, security uh, gentleman, Patrick, Patrick uh, told me about a haunted house that had been shut down because uh, people had caused heart attacks. I said, well, what? Not that I wanted to cause heart attacks, but I wanted to know what the scary thing. So he told me what the scary techniques were that they had used, and we adapted and, and used some like that because if it's not scary, people eh, but if they really get scared, They'll come back. Well, they were really scared. I remember standing outside the exit door, and uh, a guy would come out. He peed in his pants, and his girlfriend's got her arm around him. We're going, it's okay, honey, it's okay. Because the last thing we did to them, as you remember, going through the haunted house, was after everything else, which was pretty well designed, and they'd be pretty scared, separating them at first. Uh, at the end, you force them into a little room, and you drop the ceiling. The ceiling drops about six feet and stops at about eight feet above their uh, Not eight feet above their head, but at eight feet. People would hit the ground, the parents would cover their children, <laughs> and that, and then we opened the doors and let them out. And they would just like stunned, they would come out of the, staggering out of there. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was exciting. Unfortunately, put the, uh, You didn't pay Arthur, the guy that pissed his pants to come out in front of everyone? <laughs> no. I could have been that guy. But what happened one day was there was a, a tomato face husband guy. and wife, uh, police, uh, husband and wife policeman from New York City who came to the, uh, and they were drunk, 
and Tane was in charge of the slide. You crawl through the dark and you come up these steps. You've been separated from the person whose hand you were holding desperately, made them go in different ways. And they come to this top where they were supposed to go down the slide. And um, of course, you don't want people going on top of each other. Uh, so Tane was there to regulate them and make them go one at a time. Well, these guys both went at the same time, ended up hurting themselves. An ambulance came and got them. And we found out that the ambulance made the people standing in line even more anticipatory as to what was going to happen inside. They could hardly wait to get in there. So after the real ambulance left, we, we said, hey, that was cool. We had a, an ambulance come and park there the whole time and run the lights. So as you're standing in line, it looks like somebody died of fright. Yeah, all right, I can't wait to get Ambulance there. on standby at the haunted house. They're like, wow, this has got to be good. Yeah. And you build the anticipation. Just like the Disney thing. People yeah. have built the anticipation, the expectation so much when they get there, they fulfill the expectation themselves. Yeah. You should make them stand well, that's, for that, three or four hours. So when you really, you know, win the lottery or something. Because, I mean, even the, the small show that, it, that you've done, too, uh, up at the Franklin House. You know, Franklin House is on an old colonial route, and everybody says the place is haunted, yada, 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 yada. We're talking four flights of stairs. Four flights of crickety stairs. They're just lit and just enough so you can see yep, it. Up the service stairs, up and the back. And these adults freak out. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my gosh, my gosh. One woman said, I will, I'm, not, I'm not going up that way. No way. Because we gave them the option to go around. You know, If you want to just get to the theater space, you can go this way. It's all well lit and da da da. But if you really want to you know, <laughs> test, test your mustard, then you know, go up the back stairs. That woman was so funny. Oh, oh. Of course, I've been up and down 78 times, you know. <laughs> Remember we had, uh, at the Pocono Haunted House, we had uh, uh, Patrick, the security guy, again, he liked to get involved sometimes, that he would reach through a hole in the wall as people were walking by in the dark. They're walking down a very narrow passageway that they have to almost turn sideways to get through. You have threads hanging that, that trail along your face. And then Patrick would reach out and grab their ankle from inside the wall. But he learned really fast to get his hand out of there because oh, he yeah. started kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing worse than a monster going, ow, ow! <laughs> I went to one in Florida where the guy had a real chainsaw like in the mask. I'm like, I don't want to walk past you. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's just wrong. Scares me. Yeah. But it, you know, like it or not, it's a moneymaker. The, uh, remember the place? Chainsaws, you're supposed to take the chain off and just run it. And people assume that the chain is on there, but... I guess, yeah. Because <laughs> when it's running, it's going so fast you can't really see it anyway. So right. It's like it was uh, full, full motion. <laughs> it's like that uh, like Geico commercial. You know, what'd you do to my husband? Thinks he can do anything. He stands up on stage, guy's juggling. Have you seen that commercial? Yeah. You know, <laughs> throw me the chainsaw. Throw me the chainsaw. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Okay, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. That's, that's what we call a non-segment. Well, actually, chainsaw. Producing interactive events is a lot like juggling chainsaws. What'd you say? Producing interactive events is a lot like juggling chainsaws. The trick is not to let them see the chain. How <gasps> profound. Sound very profound and yet mundane. Instead of being cut above, it's a cut below the rest. profane. Yeah. He's a student of languages, both foreign and profane. Ah, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Rain days. Rain days. Yeah. More creative crap came out of rain of days. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the crap was actually good crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, there wasn't much re recorded of that because obviously the water precluded running around with a camera. No, I think. But, uh, didn't Alan write Macbeth the Trunk Show the second year? Mm -hmm. Because I think he he the the precursor for that was a was a rain show. We we couldn't do the show. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, uh, or we had Cecil instead of uh, Raleigh, right, that year? Mm. 
No, it's yeah. Cecil. Yeah. I don't know about state. The next yeah. year. That was 97. That was Cecil was 88. Cecil was 89. Was he? Because that was Ray Gerald. He's only with us the one year. <laughs> Ray Gerald. There you go. <laughs> well, he did. I, I have on video the, uh, I think it's on the, the Rollicking Productions, uh, YouTube Rollicking Productions, actually Rollicking Prods. Dot com because the other was somehow you said dot com that um, there's uh, the video of that uh, of that Macbeth trunk show from '89 with Ray Gerald it was very good and uh, and what's her name that did the, the uh, oh Natalie Natalie right and she went up and did a bunch of stuff at Sterling I think after that didn't yeah. she yeah she was a Sterling yeah. originally yeah. 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 she was a Sterling originally I worked with her up there oh that's right no well, after no she was she was Sterling and then she came with us. I know I worked with her. Yeah, but you went to Sterling afterward <laughs> when you worked with her. Oh, maybe 92? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was your second stint at Sterling when she was there. 92 was the last time I performed at Sterling. And she was still there when I went back in 98. So she was there for a good 10 years, of, you know, after we got done with her. Five or six years. Well, she was good. I remember in the yeah. chess, she was, uh, it was really hard to make the chess thing work. You had to have a good, as, as uh, we designed them and you, you directed them. The uh, jester was key, and Scott did a great job as the jester, kind of a master of ceremonies, and she did a very good job. Mm -hmm. um, I love the Mount Hope uh, chess arena there when it was still grass and sand. No, you just kind of get bored with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but our stage we designed <laughs> is still there, yeah. the end game stage. And for all of the things that we said that aren't the same, our legacy is still there. They still have the professional program and everything that we started, so they're in and in and in. And not just with the fair, but with, I think it's testimony to us. You know, the Dickens is still running, Paul is still, still running. running. Yeah. Now we, had, we had talked about the ideas that, that they're, yeah. they're doing now. But we, at the time, I don't know if it was just the time or the money or whatever it was. But Well, now the mansion, unfortunately the mansion was another beautiful theater space. had all these little ones. The last time I was there, which I guess was 2009, they had it divided into three theaters. There's no longer a house, there's no longer a ballroom and bedrooms and stairs you go up and... There's all offices. There's all offices. Now it's just downstairs, three different theater rooms. You go watch a show, you get up, you go to the next room, you sit down, you watch a show, you get up, you go to the next room. In between, you might banter with the characters a little bit. Go to the ballroom for a glass of wine at the beginning or the end. Right. Well, for us, it was like somebody's mansion had opened up to you. That was the premise. The big party. Right. Daisy's mansion. And her ancestors, actually. And the, uh, the Poe characters, the Dickens characters, actually, were there uh, also. And it made a nice blend and a nice mix and uh, allowed for theater yes. in all those rooms and, and to use the space. Some of it was intimate. And people sitting on the floor in the ballroom without, without complaint. Best um, seat in the house. Mm -hmm. And to, uh, that, you can't buy that kind of an experience because it takes forethought. It takes, the people have to be well trained. It has to be set up. You have to fight the money. People who want to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, mm -hmm. it's really hard to keep that there. But for a while, we uh, we, we kicked it. You posted the video of the Dickens the Christmas Carol, and mm -hmm. almost all the people that have been commenting on, oh my God, look, they're sitting on the floor. Look, the audience is on the floor. Look at that, Tom. They're sitting. Are all the yeah. new Mount Hope people? Yeah, they're all people that have worked there since then. They can't believe that we used to get away with all the things that we did interactively. Yep, oh, yeah, people came in and sat on the floor willingly <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the winter, sure you having just walked fire across fire it fire in their own boots. Away for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's always too many people in the mansion. I, I forget what the the, the uh, max was, but we uh, we approached it a number of times. The uh, Dickens event was really really cool. Although again, it got it got changed for uh, for reasons other than artistic. Because it was wide open. If you uh, paid to get in, you could stay as long as you wanted to.
There was cheese, there was wine, there were shows that we had to do. We didn't have to do all those shows. We could have done one or two shows. And I always wanted to make it more than people could see in, in one trip so they'd come back. Because Chuck was always saying, what do you want to do all this for? Just, just do a couple, you know, just be easier on yourself and everything else. Like, no. It's it makes us like a bigger unique. experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, it was it was it was cool. If we can uh, self congratulate to a degree, it was nice to be able to create that kind of given the given the opportunity to create that kind of a artistic experience. Still see Scrooge coming out that that side door. You know, he went up the you know up the yeah. top. You know, the spiral staircase, and there was that side door. Our little backstage there. Yeah, coming out, looking at me, going, I know you did the bore earlier, but. <laughs> I'm going to do Christmas Carol over there. I need you to do the board game over there. But, but. <laughs> yeah. And you go and do a brilliant job. Well, I, I remember love doing that as Scrooge. I'm not in the shows, but directing them, so I knew the yeah. show. And as soon as the one, the, say the board was going on in one theater room, and it was full of capacity, people were coming up to the closed door, and I would just stand and go, Oh, you haven't seen the book? Oh, I've seen it. Come in here. Yeah. And I'm going to take them into the next room, and then I would do the starting over again bit. Which, oh, as soon as somebody else walked through that door, another audience broke. Oh, come right on in. We've just gotten started. You see, here's the story of the board. And there's these two people, and this is the person playing the board, and this is the person. And I tried to do it almost as verbatim as I could. Two minutes later, another couple would come in. Oh, come on in. We just got started. I recapped the whole thing as fast as I could, make the people playing the parts do it all over again. <laughs> and I would take longer to do the trunk show of the show than the show across the way. I'd still be going when they get let out. <laughs> At the Renaissance Fair, we always stop from everyone finally left. At the Renaissance Fair, we always, as far as just the acting company goes, because it was independent shows and other things, glass blowing demonstrations and so forth going on. But as far as the acting company, we tried to have, I believe, five or six things going on at any given half hour. So, uh, and most things didn't get repeated. The actor stuff didn't get repeated. The independent shows would get repeated. So out of uh, 60 shows a day, the 35 or 40 that were the acting company shows were all different. There's no way in hell you're going to see those all in, in no, one, two, three, four, or five days. At least, yes, six or seven days. And then at Poe or Dickens, we'd have uh, three things going on. It must be something in the ballroom, and then two other of the uh, bedrooms or uh, rooms would be performance uh, performances of one kind or another, whether it was... Uh, uh, Victorian parlor games, or uh, uh, Fidel Farris was Carol, uh, or doing the Twas the Night Before Christmas. What's that? Fidel Farris's. Fidel Farris's. Yeah, we that's one of the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Who's the in the IG of Brian? Who, who's it? Who's the second? Rowena. Rowena. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the you know the difference in doing something on a proscenium stage versus doing something in the mansion, like when I directed Ligia, and uh, of course. The writer is obsessed with the loss, imagine this, Poe, of his long-lost Lygia. Yeah. And he marries a second wife, Rowena, and several points in time during the script references her as Lygia. And at one particular point in time, there's the reveal where Rowena's pretty much almost had a nervous breakdown. She goes in and lays, the bed, lays down the bed, and then almost three seconds later... Yeah, I and remember that. Lygia is there and it, the dip, I just you know I, don't, I can't even put it into words being in the same space with a bed less than 15 feet from you and seeing the actors go from one person to another person oh yeah you know when, when you are literally on the same plane as they are is so much different than being in a 
theater watching it being that third person. Well, yeah, it doesn't touch you at all. You're yeah. so removed. From yeah, it's definitely. Safer. I mean, we're not. We are being presentational in the fact that this is what we're we're putting on, but still, the intimacy of the moment is there. Yeah. And when people, when everybody goes <gasps> at the same time, yeah. you know, and you know, gotcha. Some of the magic. So. Well, it's interesting. There's a lot to, uh, to deserve consideration in the past, a reconsideration, because of the experiences and the lessons and the, and the gifts and all of that. Well, I think the other thing that should be, uh, you know, before we conclude anything is, uh, you know, kudos need to go to you and Brian, and maybe to myself and Kitty too, uh, but oh, really yeah. more you and Brian, um, for the individuals that you chose to be part of the companies because uh, every one of them had their own unique spark. And I say, part of it is picking the right people. Yeah, and as I say that because, you know, as the guy that saw, I don't know how many monologues. You know, <laughs> yeah, you, you were our monologue person, what, and then send them on to us for the improv. Yeah, and, and most, just about everybody, you know, if I saw at least a little bit of a spark, I, I, I'd send them. And, 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 of course, we talked about Ray earlier. Ray was the one that I was like, you got to be, you know, dude, if you don't even have a monologue prepared, forget it. Yeah. And he is the one who had enough chutzpah to come to me later and say, how come I didn't get called back? Yeah. And, and I said, hey, you know, I didn't get called back and you really feel that way about it, go and see how you do improv. You know? And he did, and he, well, the rest is history. He you know. impressed us and we hired him. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, Ray Gerald. He came and he was he was a little upset with me. I think he was like one of the three or four monologues I passed. And a lot of times I would look down and see their availability was. So right away they had to go back to college. But that was kind of a rule we had at auditions. If people didn't make your screening uh, and they had the chutzpah, the balls to come and knock on our door and say, hey, I want to audition for you anyway, even though I didn't make it through the first part. Okay, come on in. We got sure, some yeah. people that way. But there was also, yeah. you know, we had the quorum, so to speak, when, because I don't know if the actors, I think the smart ones do, but Certainly, in my experience, there have been actors and actresses that come in, lay down their resume, say who they are. I'm here for my nine, nine o'clock audition, and they go and they sit and they, you know, whatever it is they do, you know, before, before they have to go, to go and um, audition. Yeah. But it, at least our general rule of thumb, if you remember, is you know, Kitty was the greeter, mm -hmm. and then she would introduce the individual to me, and then that person would do the monologue, and then I would decide whether or not. They were going on to you guys, and like I said, I would say at least 95% of the time they did. Yeah. And then later that night, though, we all got together and, and said, you know, we're thinking about this person or this person. And uh, <laughs> once in a while, Kitty and I would go, oh, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Or Kitty would go, oh, no. Or we'd go, hey, this person, you guys were like, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean. It was great, uh, great teamwork. Yeah. yeah. And so, Kitty was invaluable. Yeah, pretty much. If anybody felt strongly against, then we did not. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a good. That's always been a good principle of working with people in our artistic situation. Is if you want true uh, a true democratic uh, uh, kind of thing, which is hard to achieve, then if somebody says no, that's it. Everybody has to say yes for something to happen. Now that can also stymie you, but yes. uh, for the yeah. most part, it, it means if somebody has a bad problem with something, well, I trust their judgment. Somebody in the inner circle, we're just not going to push it. But I, I did see some of the behavior, though, that Kitty was talking about. Some people just come in and really be extremely rude to her. You know, yeah. I'm here for mm -hmm. this time, and my name is Mark Smith. You just Preferson. sink your boat, buddy. Treating her you like know. she's just the greeter, yeah, not yeah. realizing she's one of the producers. Yeah, or one of the directors, too. <laughs> one of the directors. So, and, 
my, my point here to anybody who listens to this is that when you get an audition, it's, it's not just standing in front of that person for two minutes and selling yourself. I mean, you sell yourself from the moment you step out of your car and walk into that mm -hmm. building. And if you don't have enough, if you don't have enough, what's uh, the word I'm looking for, Brian? Intelligence. Yeah, you got it. Intelligence. Understand that. You know, maybe you should work in a store. As a friend of mine says, when you're going to an audition, be the person that they want to work with. Right. Or as a friend of mine also says, uh, when you go to an audition, know that you know, don't be cocky about it, but know, oh, you're hired. They're just not sure where they're going to put you just yet. Yeah. Well, I think it's like having a baseball team, and you run into this incredible athlete who plays second base. You don't need a second baseman, but you're going to find a spot for him. Because talents to yeah. to yeah, we uh, we haven't we haven't completed a lot of things today. Uh, <laughs> we're introductions never got through those. We didn't get through <laughs> Dave's directing gigs. We didn't get, but that's all yeah, right. It's limited right. limited time. Let me uh, just say, and because I know you you want to do uh, you had obligations at two with family. I'm a dad. Yeah, your dad, your young young beautiful lady is uh, needs to take you away from our podcast here, but. Dave Donovan, thank you. Smith thank you. Collins, thank you. Um, Brian Belge, <laughs> thank you. It's been fun uh, reminiscing, and we could do this a lot. We should uh, should do it more. <laughs> we didn't read a goddamn thing today, so nope. it's tough calling it a table read podcast. And uh, I try and uh, not do too much, so you don't have to check that little box that says uh, explicit material <laughs> on your <laughs> podcast. Try and stay away from that. Time to start a new one called Table Talk. Table Talk, <laughs> yeah. Tabletop pies. Well, if they don't like it, they don't have to listen to another. Uh, yeah, if you don't like it, quit listening because this is the end. <laughs> bye. Yeah, bye. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's it. Okay, did the introduction, right? Yeah. And we did everything else, so I guess we can actually end the podcast. Okay. Hey, Completely. was this thing on, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> no, I forgot. Damn. That was the rehearsal. Oh, okay. Remember your lines? Playing improv for three hours. <laughs> That's right. We're three hours. We're we're only at an hour and a half. We're really uh, this is this is the road version, so it's shorter.